welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. How is Jesus introduced to you? Sometimes we can benefit from a reintroduction. Founding pastor Randy Pope brings us this sermon entitled, The Real Jesus, which covers Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. For more information and to watch or hear other sermons, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Good morning, Perimeter Church. Our scripture reading today is from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. Now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, since he was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had thought this over, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you shall name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Michael. And now let's pray our prayer of illumination together, as you'll see uh, responsibly. O Lord, by this we know that we abide in you and you in us, because you have given us your spirit together. Abide with us as we worship you today. And may your spirit illumine our hearts and minds that we might know and love you more deeply. Amen. Well, this is the beginning of Advent. Most of you probably have heard before the meaning of Advent. Important that you do understand it as we walk through this season, as we have an Advent series, as we're calling it. Advent, literally arrival. This is where we celebrate the arrival of Jesus. So you have all the Old Testament, the prophecies, and all the comments about, uh, you know, this one coming Messiah. He's coming, he's coming, and now's the time. And so it is called Advent. Now, we are beginning a series actually next week out of the book of Luke chapter 2, and it's entitled, The Good News of Great Joy. Now, I'm kind of the, the setup for that series, so I'm going to be teaching in the Advent subject arena but I'm going to be coming out of a different gospel. I'll be coming out of Matthew chapter 1. Now, the Advent story, hear this, is the New Testament's introduction of Jesus. This is the first thing we're going to learn in all the New Testament. This is the first thing we learn about this Jesus, his arrival, what it's going to be like. It's described in detail. We call that Advent. Carol asked me, Last night, I think it was, or this morning, but uh, are, are you ready or you, you feel prepared or whatever? And of course, I, I, I'm prepared, and I told her I was. But I said, you know, I, I don't know how the message comes out ever. But this particular message, not what I'm saying and how I've outlined it and, and, and planned to, to give it, but the message itself, I share with her, I said, not because I knew I'd be introducing it this way, but I told her the subject matter really is important to me. It's very, very important. I feel so strongly about this particular subject matter because of two reasons. One, of the many, 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 many lunches, hundreds and hundreds of lunches over the years that I've had with non-followers of Jesus to actually talk about 
what I would say, introducing them to Jesus. And in doing so, I will forever plot around in the subject matter and, and ask, uh, basically, have you been introduced to Jesus? I want to find out, what is that introduction like? And I hear over and over and over, in fact, I'm going to suggest 95% probably, maybe more than that, of all the people that I meet with, they say in some form or fashion, yeah, yeah, I've been introduced to Jesus. I have been. I hear that, but I realize that that doesn't tell me enough, so I'll push a little deeper. I say, let me ask you this. Based on your introduction of Jesus, would you say that your faith or your spiritual pilgrimage, whatever you want to call it, would you say that it's, it's more of a belief, maybe even a strong belief? Or would you say it's a deeply rooted conviction? And I'll explain. I say now, a belief is something that, that we do hold to be true, but given in religion, as we would say we're Christian, we, had we been born in North Africa, we'd probably be saying Allah. It would be our belief. It would be given to us, the environment in which we've been surrounded, the things we've heard. I say, let me tell you what a conviction is. A conviction is something that drives the way you think, the way you live day by day, the way you choose to do and not to do things. It's the biggest part of your life. That's a conviction. And then I simply ask, is it a belief or a conviction? What would you say? The vast, 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 vast majority of people say, well, it's a belief. Well, that would be one reason I'm concerned, because there are many of us here that are probably still in the, in the seeking arena trying to figure this thing out. And many of us would be young in spiritual formation, and many of us are declaring ourselves to be or not to be Christian based on our understanding of Jesus. Well, there's a second reason, and that's out of concern for a large numbers of those themselves who would say, I am certainly a Christian. I very much believe in the gospel. I believe in the work of Christ. I believe that, I believe that, I believe that. But at the same time, as I explore their introduction to Jesus, I begin to wonder, what Jesus have they been introduced to? Certainly they've been introduced to Jesus, but the question is, what kind of introduction have they had? And I'll say this, I want every single person in this church, every single person, to have no doubt whatsoever who the real Jesus is. That's why I love this text. Now, in doing so, the question that I ask is this. What kind of introduction did these folks have? I know introduction is important. I, I remember when I was emceeing a college event that was a big-name speaker coming in. I mean, world-famous I can say that, a world-famous author, speaker. I mean, everybody looking forward to this man coming on campus, and I happened to be the MC of the meeting. And so I was told, arrive early so I can meet with the speaker, find out the details for his introduction. He'll give me his introduction, I was told. I waited and waited and waited, and just minutes before the event starts, he comes walking in very hurriedly, and he 
he, he asked, who's going to be introducing me? And so they pointed to me, and he came over to me and says, I hear you're introducing me. And I said, yes, sir, I am. And he said, well, come over here. And so we tucked away in a corner, and he said, now listen, I want you to understand that. He wasn't teasing. There was no smile. He said, outside of my message, what you say to introduce me will be the most important thing that happens tonight. And it will either make or break my talk. Do you understand? I said, yes, sir. And so then he started in and said, here are the things I'd like for you to say. And after 30, 40 seconds of hearing all of these honorary with Greek letters, you know, this fraternity, this, this, and that's the honor and all this stuff, I thought he was playing a little joke. And I laughed. And I said, yeah, yeah. Like, what do you really want me to say? And he looked at me and he said, I'm telling you what I want you to say. And I said, well, let me, let me get a pencil or a paper or something and write that. You do not need that. You can remember this. And he went on with his list. The minute he started going on, I just shut him out. I said, hey, it's not going to work anyway. This brain ain't going to remember it. And so then I said, fine, I got it. And then I got up to introduce him. And I said, you know, guys, I think every person here is here tonight knowing and excited about the speaker, and you know who he is. He needs no introduction, so I welcome now, and I brought him on, and that was it. I never said a word about him. I didn't say what he did, where he came. I just said, here you go. So he comes up to the, to the, pulp, to the uh, stage, and he says, he looks over at me, and there's no smile. This is no joke. He looks at me, and he says, that is absolutely the worst introduction I've ever had. So I either make or break his talk. Well, that's a, an interesting illustration. But folks, that's the truth about Jesus. How we get introduced to Jesus makes all the difference in the world. It can make or break our Christian life. How we pursue what we think we're pursuing and so forth. So the question is, what kind of introduction, what kind of introduction have we had? The big question, as I like to think of it, is this way. Were these people, were you, was I introduced to the real Jesus? And I'm going to refer to Jesus from this point on as the real Jesus. Just so you keep this straight. It's going to be a very, very simple, straightforward message. Out of Matthew 1, it helps us answer the question simply by looking at the naming of baby Jesus. That's all it is. It can't get more simple. You know, naming of babies today, it's based on different things. I mean, first of all, maybe more than any, it's just uh, maybe a popular name. Uh, maybe it's a special person. Maybe in our family or somebody that's influenced us or whatever. We have such good memory. We say, well, I'd like to name you after this person. For others, it's just simply a matter of what sounds good, what's, what's really got a good sound to it. How does it relate to the last name and so forth? And that's nothing wrong with any of those things. But I'll tell you, the naming of Jewish babies during the time of the New Testament, it was a totally different deal. The real issue was the baby's identity and what the naming had to say about that identity. It was really based on two things. The question that people wanted to know is, who named you? 
Whose are you? And so you had to figure that out. That was very, very important. And the second thing is, what's the meaning of the name that you chose? Oh, I, I've named him so-and-so, uh, but that means such-and-such. Such. I named her this, but that means such-and-such. And, such. and so it's the meaning of the name as well. So in our text, all we're going to do in this brief time, one, we're going to look at these few verses, one verse particular, verse 21, and we're going to look at the naming of the baby and also the meaning of the child's name. Just two simple observations. That's all it's going to be. Now, I got a good friend, fellow PCA pastor, Tim Keller, who many years ago, I remember he shared some things that gave great insight into this very subject matter, and I am very much indebted to him in, in, in just learning years and years ago some of the things, and then since that time, the study that's gone beyond. That is so simple, but the implications are gigantic. So let's, let's begin by looking at two simple observations. I'm going to read again Matthew 1. Michael has already read it for... For us, but uh, I'm going to read it again, Matthew 1, 18 through 21. So uh, give your attention to the screen, and I'm going to read it for us. It says, Now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, since he was a righteous man, did not want to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had thought this over, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you shall name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So let's look at them very simply. The baby is named by God. Now, at the time of Jesus' birth, everybody understood this, that whoever names the child is the ones that manage the child. That just goes with the territory of naming. You also see it in other arenas of life during that time. You see things such as even go back to the beginning of the Old Testament. God tells Adam, he says, I'm not going to name the animals. You name the animals. And he said, then you will rule over this part of creation. The creation is, is yours to rule over. And so he says, you name the animals. You have the stories such as in 2 Kings 22 of a victorious king conquers. And the defeated king that's conquered is taken into his custody. And then immediately, what does the victorious king do? He gives a new name to that king. No longer to keep his old king, because now there's someone managing that king. And so the name would change. Now, regarding the naming of Jesus, that didn't take place. In the sense that the parents themselves, who were going to have this child, they were not given that responsibility. In fact, God declared you shall name him Jesus. It was never in his prerogative or her prerogative. Now, 
Second observation is a very simple one, and that is the baby is given the name Jesus. So what does Jesus mean? Jesus is translation of, of Ishua, uh, uh, maybe better known as Joshua, literally known as one of the most common names in all of Hebrew. It would be somewhat of the equivalent today to what we would say of someone to say, oh, John Doe. It's just throwing out a name. It's, a, it's just a common, common, common name. And interesting, this most common name is given to the most special person ever. And I'll give you a little hint here why that would happen. Because this Jesus would identify with the ordinary. Not just in his name, but he had ordinary family, parents. He had ordinary education. He had an ordinary trade. Everything was ordinary. In fact... When we see the meaning of Jesus, this is what it means. Salvation is of the Lord. Hmm. Salvation is of the Lord. Now you see verse 21, and it says, why is he named this? He will save his people from their sin. There it is. In many ways, it, it uh, encapsulates the gospel. Because what his name is declaring is, oh, no, look, look, it's not based on what you do or what I do. It's based on what God does. He is the one. Salvation is of the Lord. Makes it very clear. It's not based on our merit. It's based on his mercy. It's not based on our active righteousness, what we do to act righteously enough that God says, okay, I can accept you. Not at all. It's based on what's called a passive righteousness. In other words, passive. I'm not doing anything. It's what he does. It's his work on my behalf. And so it's, it, it really, in the very name, it's declaring the gospel of salvation, which leads to our now implications, the implications. But before I do that, can I just prepare you for these two? These are significant implications. And as I get into them, I want you young people. I don't know how many people bring their young people, how many young people come here. But yay if you're here. And I say, please, if you haven't heard anything yet, you listen to what you're about to hear. And seekers, I'm doing you a great favor because this is what you need to hear. If you're contemplating, do I embrace the Christian faith? Is Jesus somebody that I want to take hold of and follow? I want to make sure you know who the real Jesus is. So the first of these two implications, simply this. The real Jesus is unmanageable. Hear that. The real Jesus, he's unmanageable. We do not name Jesus. We cannot manage Jesus. In other words, Jesus will not serve as our personal butler. It's not his job. How many people that I'm meeting, how many people you're meeting, how many people do we know, maybe some of ourselves that say, this is not what I signed up for. I was told, invite Jesus into your heart and you get an abundant life and everything is good. And let me tell you, it's been everything but good. And oh, by the way, 
look at him, look at her. Now, they're not even taking Jesus. And look at their life and compare it to mine, and you're telling me that this is the abundant life? Forget it. I'm not sure I'm in for this thing. And I say, oh, apologies to whoever introduced you to Jesus. They didn't introduce you to the real Jesus. We have to understand, he's not going to be our personal butler. He's not going to be like a, a tamed, you know, house animal, like a cat or something. In fact, he's the Lion of Judah. Try to tame the Lion of Judah and you get hurt. It's a dangerous, dangerous thing to even think about doing. So having said that, we have to understand that whoever names manages. And God named him because it's his son. It's God himself. And so he himself with the Father, they manage us. That's the way the Christian life was anticipated to be understood, even in the very naming of Jesus. It applies to, you know, to any naming or managing relationally. When, I, when we were young parents, uh, we had uh, one of our children who came in as we were both in the bathroom that morning. Carol and I were in the bathroom, and and uh, while we were there getting ready for the day, whatever, our little child comes walking in with a little rubber tip. You remember some of the old enough to know there were little springs with a little rubber tip on it, and the doors would come back to hit that little thing, and it would stop the door from hitting the wall. Well, you could pull those little rubber tips off. And so this child came in with a rubber tip in their mouth, right between their teeth and came in with a big smile, I'm sure not assuming that there's anything wrong, but just look. And when we saw it, we said, oh, oh no, 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 you could swallow that. This could be dangerous, so no, 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 do not do that. If you do this again, we'll have to punch. So please, do not touch this, you understand that. So I come back in the bathroom within seconds, hear that child comes back, got it between the teeth and looks up grinning. And I says, what about this? Did this child not understand? This child is a little slow at, at getting the picture. <laughs> and so I say, okay, you're going to get spanked. You're going to get really spanked if you do this again. This is no-no. Now, this child understood exactly what that meant. Don't get me wrong. This child was only 14, okay? So, no. A <laughs> <laughs> little younger than that. Anyway... So I said, you're going to get spanked. Well, again, the same thing happens. Comes walking right back in, in between the teeth, looks up to say, look, you hear what I'm doing. And I said to Carol, this one's going to be a, this is going to be a, a spanking that'll hurt. And so I, I, I took the child back and I explained and I spanked them till there was pain. I hugged, I loved, I said, I love you. You know, this is not me angry at you. This is me trying to protect you and kiss and hug, all that stuff, you know. And I come back in. Here comes this child again with it between their teeth. And I said, this child's not slow. This child's stupid. Now, I didn't probably say that, but I'm thinking. I said, what in the world? And I said, I said Carol, this is going to be it this time. 
and I took the child back, and I mean wore that child out. In love, hugged, told him, explained, you've got to feel this pain because you're not going to stop it. You, do you know that child came back in another time? And I remember after that next one, I said, that child's going to learn now. You know what was happening? Exploring the territory to determine who is going to manage who. Now, I don't know if it's true or not, but I've often believed. I mean, I've believed and often said, Carol, I've just got, was that not a breaking point for that child? We finally said, okay, somebody's got to manage, and that's not me, it's going to be you. You're my parents. You manage. And I say to you, young parents, manage your children in love. It's not abuse. It's nothing. Just manage them well. Let them know that you manage them because you can. And you're the only one that can protect and love the way they need to be protected and loved. And that's what God is saying to us. Don't. Don't try to manage me. I'm the Lion of Judah. You'll get hurt. But I'll manage you, and you'll get the best you could ever ask for. I use a fictional illustration. I want you to hear that. Darren, express your faith when I train and teach people how to share their faith, and of me asking Carol to marry me after a long, long dating period, and, and after the dating period for so many years, she finally asked me, do you ever see us getting married? And I say, I do. And anytime soon? No, I don't, I don't think so. Not for me, not soon. And why not? And I say, I just love the freedom that we very rarely use, but we can date other people. We're free to. It's not wrong to. I want to keep that freedom and so forth and so on. And, and, and she says, well, okay, if that's, you know, and so she we continue to date. And I come back maybe fairly quickly and say, will you marry me? And she says, oh, oh, wow. And then without thought, she says, oh, that, so no more dating. We'll be married. And I go, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm going to still plan to keep dating women after we get married. And she says, what? What are you talking about? You don't love me. Oh, I do. I, I really want to marry you. Why would you want to marry if that's the case? Well, because let me tell you, no other girls I've dated keep their place as clean as you do, and none of them cook as well as you do, and what's she going to do? She's going to slap me and run, say goodbye. Now, I gave that same illustration in the 9 o'clock service, and the lady came up to me, and she says, I can't believe your wife put up with that. <laughs> Did you all hear the word fictional? You're, okay, not going to come out of this group. But let me tell you, would not the king of kings do the same who says, as he declared in his lovable law, when he said, you shall have no other gods before me? He says, no, no, you can't just take me and other gods. You can't do that. Not because he's just a jealous God, which is enough he is, but he loves us and knows that's not, that's not going to work. It will not work. And let me tell you, I think it truly explains Matthew 7. That text in the 22nd verse where it says, 
Jesus speaking says, many who come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, they won't enter the kingdom of heaven. But many will come to me on that day and say, but Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name, perform many miracles in your name, which are some pretty good religious activities, some high commitment religion there. But he says, no, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You cannot enter into my kingdom. You can't be in relationship when you are just taking other gods and dating and dating and dating and saying, and I'll marry you, but I'll date him and date him and date him and I'll marry you. And he says, no, I'm not going to have that. Depart from me. And it so concerns me that so many people have been introduced not to the real Jesus, but to a Jesus that's not, not what they're thinking. And there needs to be no surprise in eternity. And by the way, if anybody thinks, oh, that means that if you're really a Christian, then you are just really, you don't ever sin, you don't. No, that's not it at all. We sin continuously. Here's the great difference among many great differences. But the difference is this. When we do sin, we grieve the sin. We fight it. We may lose the fight. And then we may come back, but we're fighting it. We hate it, and we would do anything to stop even if we're struggling and, and don't learn well how to stop. But I'll tell you this, we repent and we repent and we repent. And it says, you're managing me, Lord, and I'm a hard one to manage. But you're definitely the manager. And I understand that. So the real Jesus cannot be managed. The last implication, the second one, is simply this. To follow the real Jesus is to embark on an unpredictable, dangerous, and adventurous journey. But a wonderful journey. Don't anybody think it's not a good journey? It's the best journey imaginable. I didn't say your circumstances are going to be all great and wonderful or better because you're not at all. Don't know how the circumstances will be, but your life will be much better. Your joy will be much better. Your hope will be much better. I mean, it truly is the abundant life. But don't read into that, okay, my circumstances must get better. It's not true. It's an analogy that I heard of, of a carpenter coming in to do some little minor tweaks and changes while you go away for a month or two and you leave the carpenter... The, the keys to get in and just to change a little of this and fix this and do that and do this, a little change. Very inexpensive. And then you come back after this long period away, you walk in and they, the carpenter, is, he's knocked down walls, he's added rooms, he's put on all kind of additions, he's done this, he's done that. And you go, well, well, well that's more expensive than I ever, I never, I don't even know how I'm going to pay for this, is, this is so expensive. And yeah. Jesus indwells the heart of those he manages. And he turns what's just a normal dwelling place into a royal palace. We think the whole time, I can't afford it, I can't afford it. And he just provides everything necessary to afford it. It is an adventure. And similarly, it's like a, an adventure story. You know, adventure story. You know, it's a move away from security if it's adventurous. And you go into things that are dangerous and things that you dislike and things that scare you, fears and all these kind of things come along with it. But at the end, if it's a great story and this one is truly the greatest story, 
there is an incredible hidden treasure. And don't think, oh, that means there's heaven. There is the incredible. That's the incredible of incredibles. But you get forgiven of your sins. You get hope. You get joy. The very things I just mentioned, those things are part. It's peace. It's, it's love. It's things that you cannot manufacture on your own. And people look at their circumstances and say, no, look at life. You got your eye on the wrong picture there. Tell you this, it's the same thing as true when following the real Jesus. It's hard. But boy, is it rewarding. In the short run, there's nothing more dangerous than to obey him. In the long haul, there's nothing more dangerous than to ignore him. And the truth of it is, there's no in-between. And that's what we'd love to think. Can I just kind of obey him? And just kind of ignore him? And just, no. Remember, he's the lion of Judah. Some are going to say, well, I don't want to follow the real Jesus. I'm afraid that he'll ask me to do things I don't want to do. He definitely will. Or we'll say, I'm afraid he's going to stop me from doing things that I love to do, and I can't imagine living without it, but I know he says it's wrong, and I can't. He will definitely do that. He will definitely do it. But remember, if a Christian, he named you. He manages you. And he's the author of your great adventurous journey. So in closing, let me just ask, do you want a royal palace? Do you, you want an adventure with a great treasure? If so, you can't be named by your work. And some of us here, we are, aren't we? We can't be named by relationships. We can't be named by pleasures. We can't be named by material possessions. None of those things. And I'll tell you, either we're named by Jesus or we're going to be named by someone or something else. That's the way it works. I love the story of Mary in this great text. You come to Luke's telling of that story, which we'll be in over the next four weeks. You come there to Mary and she has just been summoned to embark on the most adventurous journey imaginable. I mean, she is pregnant without a husband, she just learns. She knows she's going to be viewed by people all around her as immoral and unwed as a mother. She has even been told now that her child will be older than she is. You talking about an adventurous journey? You talking about the unknowns, the fear, the questions? How's this going to work? But I love what she says. In Luke 1.38, she says, And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. There's your prayer, seeker. There's your prayer, young people. You're going to grow up to be a man or woman of God? Let it be known. Lord, you're, you're my manager. I'm your bond slave. And let it be done according to your word. I'll trust your word better than my own feelings. So the same question, have you been introduced to the real Jesus? Is your faith walk whatever it is? Is it a belief? Is it a 
deeply held conviction, and you'll know whether or not it is if you view him not as the house cat, but as the Lion of Judah, and you submit to him. Why in the world, why would we do so, submit to him? Because I'm going to say this, if you've submitted to him, if you've met the real Jesus, you're in and should be in for the greatest Christmas, the most blessed Christmas imaginable. Talking about a merry Christmas, oh, you'll have the merriest of, of Christmases. Not because your circumstances are good. I bet some of them are absolutely lousy. Not because there's no fear, not because there's no questions. No. It's going to be the best Christmas ever because of the very single first, very first act of his managing you. You know what it was? It was going to Calvary. That was his first act of managing. And he went to the cross, and he paid for our sins. And once you know that, just keep in mind, ah, my circumstances, they're horrible. Oh, I wish, I wish, I wish. But God, I am forgiven forever, regardless of my sin. God, I am loved forever. Because of your love for me, even in spite of my sin. And I carry the great promise of John 8:32. He who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with us also freely give us all things? Romans 8. How will he not give us all good things? Oh, but I thought you said, no, no, no. Good things. The best things, not the temporal things. And I'll tell you, I'm going to keep saying this till every person of this church, I hope, cannot forget it. The good news, though you lost it all, you lost your perfection, you lost your goodness, you have nothing to offer to God, nothing whatsoever, but He does it all. He goes to Calvary's cross, He pays the penalty. For those who will be his, he pays that penalty. And then you know what he does? He says, you get it all. You get it all. Remember that passive righteousness? That's it. You get all of my righteousness. You're passive. I'm active. I give it to you, and you will live now on this earth through all eternity, seen by your heavenly Father as righteous. It will get no better than that. You're going to have a Merry Christmas? Just remember who he is. He's the real Jesus. You can never go wrong with Jesus. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray that you would grant to every one of us here the ability to see clearly the real Jesus. And to respond appropriately. Our young people would even make decisions now. I'm not going to mess around with this. Not with the real Jesus. I'm not going to manage him. I'll let him manage me. And may these young people grow up to be godly men and women. Who love you. 
and serve you for a lifetime and endure horrible pain and suffering and trial. But with great joy, with great peace, grant it, our God. And may the people of this church have the merriest Christmas ever, having nothing to do with their circumstances. And we pray it in the wonderful and matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and let's, let's sing together. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.